The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. Welcome to the I Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast, the show about all things Port Adelaide Footy Club. I'm your host, Mac and 19, and joining me tonight, back on the podcast again, we've got Fishing Rick. Mate, how's it going? He's back. Going well, I'm buddy. I'm back. I'm back. I was ex- to the uh, the hayway of Queensland, but it's good to be back in Adelaide, and what a great way to come back. Absolutely. What a great okay. weekend. Yeah, it was excellent. That's it. And joining us again is forum favourite, Tribe. Maka. How are mate. you, mate? Good, buddy. Can I just Good say, watching on. the back of your head in my seat, it, I've seen... I've seen a semaphore sunset with a gelati in my hand, but the back of your head, I think, trumped it. It's a beautiful head. It is. It's a noggin <laughs> it is, for the ages. It's, it's very large, very round, very bold. Was it polished? And, uh, uh, not polished, no. No, I did have a hat on. <laughs> uh, didn't bring out the brill cream for this uh, this occasion, so it was good. It was immaculate. Was it, was well it a bit chilled for a night game, Friday night, or was it... It was all right. It was tolerable. It was lovely weather, fishing Beautiful. rig. It was lovely. It was fantastic. It was the quintessential. Very, very nice. It would have been about 13 or 14 degrees. It was lovely. It was a balmy evening. It was a balmy evening. It was. Oh, it was pissing up and rain on the Gold Coast. <laughs> Go figure. That's it. All right. Well, let's get into our love and hate. Uh, one thing we loved, one thing we hated around about Port Adelaide this week. Try be, mate. I'll start with you. All right, hashtag NTUA, never tear us apart. Um, how good it. was it? How good was it, fellas? It was incredible. Oh, it sounded incredible. great over the TV. Honestly, why isn't it on video hits? Like, it's got to, We're going to bring that back. Um, look, it's almost entirely beloved by poor people and, res- and has received praise in the wider media, but it's really growing legs as a genuine. It's just the moment of the pre-game match they experience. You know, like in, the, in this country, like in Australia, we don't really have a culture of singing like, say, they do at the English football or in Scotland or Italy or whatever. Like, we just tend to clap along with our team name and clap, clap, clap. But for the first time, I think, in this country, beyond the round ball game, there is absolutely a sense that this is becoming a huge thing. And to have... 40, 45, 50,000 Port supporters all singing along to this song, which obviously we know has brilliant meaning with all the crap that went on with what they did to us. Um, yep. Yeah, to to have the sound down on the TV, or the commentators not speaking on the TV, have the sound up and hear everybody singing along to it was just brilliant. So that's my love. It's grown legs so quickly. I mean, I think we all probably had a little bit of, of reservation about how it would mm. turn out sort of at the start of the season because, as you said, it, it's not really in the Australian sporting landscape singing these sort of songs, but um, it's just become such a huge thing. And as you said, you know, it's now starting to drown out the PA at the ground. Everyone's getting involved. Everyone's putting their scarves up. It's just a fantastic moment um, pre-game. Absolutely love it. It's fabulous. Wouldn't it be good if, wouldn't it be good if we can get in excess out maybe in the next year or two to... Uh, Played at the game live. That would be interesting. Yeah. I reckon that'd be fantastic. It would be pretty good. Yeah. Better yeah, than the pot t- bellies, at least. But... <laughs> <laughs> the pot bellies. Boys. <laughs> I was just thinking about that. Good on you. Don't hold back, fellas. Yeah. Uh, Triby, you get right into it. You get up there, wave the flag, sing I strong and loud. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's just, you go nuts. You're your beer in your hand. <laughs> get, a bit, get a bit frothy around the mouth, too. Oh, but, uh... Do I ever? It's just brilliant. Yeah. Good work. Unbelievable. Look, my hate, and you're probably going to all agree with me, is Jared Waite. I'm just going to go for that. There was nothing bad. I hate the weights, man. Absolutely worth the weight. He's, look, he's probably a smashing fella in real life, you know, so good luck to him. But there's something about this guy, and Carlton in particular, isn't there? Um,. You know, he's the epitome of fool's gold. He looks shiny and valuable from a distance, but once you have a real hard look, he's just matter. He's just something that's there. He was on the field. He did nothing. 31 years old, ordinary, disappointing, but imagine how good he'll be, boys, in a few years. 
Absolutely. And, and poor old Carlton, who've just had to hear that for the last, what, decade? Mm. That he was just going to become this hyper-mega superstar. And I don't know, maybe I'm biased because he got a couple of cheapies out of Jack Homsch, which I thought were harsh, the free kicks on the lead. But, um, yeah, couldn't hate anything about Port this week, so I'm just going to target some low-hanging fruit, Jared Waite. Oh, look, it just sums up Carlton as a whole, I think, over the last sort of 10 years. You know, just you wait for two, three years' time, mate, we'll be fantastic. You know, Jared Wade will be fantastic, and suddenly his career's over. (laughs) Exactly, it's finished, it's gone. If you blink, blink, you'd miss it, mate. The funny thing is, he'll probably kick 60 goals next year for North Melbourne. Yeah, well. Well, don't don't a lot of Port supporters when playing for us next year. No. Anyway, Jared Waite. He's not, he's not worth the wait. He's not I'd rather go the with the sure thing. Wait, Jared Waite. not worth the wait. That's it. Rick, your love and hate. Yeah, my love is... Uh, I have two. Daniel Ricciardo winning the, the Spa Grand Prix last night. What a fantastic drive that was again. And yep. the other one is, I reckon... And relevant. Very relevant. Very, very relevant. Well, it's winning. Culture. True. Winning culture. True. Port Adelaide goes hand in hand. Um, but I thought uh, I really loved Jasper Pittard on Friday night. He almost had a bit of Bob Murphy's rascal of the week about him uh, during the game. He was getting into the players a little bit, a little bit of niggle, and so much so that uh, you know I had to pay the Carlton boys a little bit of money, but they looked after me and tore uh, Jasper's shirt off. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was all everything that everyone was expecting it to be. What a sexy thing! But uh, seriously, what a great um, great performance he's delivered again, and what a stellar two months he's had for us and for the Port Adelaide faithful that were willing to ride him off and ship him off to Siberia. Oh, look, spot on. Ever since that Sydney game where he uh, copped a lot of criticism from myself included, um, he's been great. He's probably been in our top five players for uh, for that period. Mm. I love the niggle that he gave on Saturday, though, on Friday. Him I actually loved that. That was fantastic. I love yeah. that. Pushed Murphy over and uh, was sort of like, yeah, good on you. And then another guy was on the ground and he was there sort of having a little quiet word to the, the other Carlton player. He had a bit of confidence about him on Friday night, which was great to see. I couldn't I couldn't believe the criticism by Rashido on the uh, Fox coverage after when I was watching the replay. He said it was, what did he say? He said it was like, I can't remember what it was, but he used a negative verb or adjective to describe what Pittard did to Murphy. And I'm thinking, hang on, this guy's Carlton's captain. He's already punched Boke in the guts. He's already given away a free kick against Kane Corns. We were clearly under his skin, and I thought after we scored that goal, for Peter to go up to him and knock him over, I thought was absolutely fabulous. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was just classic Port Adelaide, and I love this coming from Rashido. I mean, he was oh. the king of coming in, you know, fifteen seconds too late and knocking someone. Oh. He was Vasily Zaitsev from Enemy at the Gates. He was a sniper. He used to take people out all the time. Go away, Rue. Go manage the Alma, champ. That's just... I've had enough. Keep going, boys. (laughs) What about your hate? My hate would have to be premature calling. And Nick Gill would have to be the master of that. Um, What did we get at the game? 52,505 people. Absolutely. Highest attendance again. Yep. And Second time this year. Some douchebag writing a song about bringing out the tarps. I mean, oh, at least wait to see if... Let's wait and see if the crowd actually disappears first before start bringing out the tarps. Might have to uh, lend them to Adelaide or something or lend them to Gil to wrap around his big head when it's cold or something because what a ridiculous mm. call. I mean, such poorly timed like everything else the Crows do of late. It's just just a rabble and ridiculous, and it just agitates me. As poorly timed as his uh, kicking action, I would think. Oh. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> as poorly timed as keeping up his appointments at the hair salon. Because, remember, his hair? <laughs> Awful. <laughs> Shocking. But, let's face yeah. it, what a, what a shit-ass call, really. Let's put it bluntly. It's pretty poor, honestly. I, I did find I did have a bit of a smirk. It was pretty funny. It would have been a lot funnier if we were getting sort of twenty eight thousand to games, and not uh, almost matching the uh, team for all South Australians in the crowd. Absolutely. Figures. 
Yeah. You know, Adelaide Oval, the Port Adelaide fans. Like we've always said, remember three or four years ago when I'm when me and I think Russell Eva Hamble and a couple of other guys would say our, our supporter base is there, but they've got this cultural thing of only coming out for games that really matter. So they'd, they'd come out for the round 22 blockbuster against Brisbane. They'd come out for the prelim final. They'd come out for, say, a home showdown. But yeah. they wouldn't come out for... Woodville in round eight at Alberton in 1987, or they wouldn't come out for mm. West Coast in round 20 in 2001. But, you know, like for them to come out this year and really get behind the club and Adelaide Oval and what it's doing, I think is just absolutely fantastic. And everybody needs the biggest round of applause we could buy. Yep. Well, it's been everything that we wanted it to be this year at Adelaide Oval. You know, the, the stadium itself is fantastic. The pregame entertainment is fantastic. The crowd's gotten into it. The crowd's turned up. Let's hope they do the same next year and beyond as well. I think they'll be coming for a few years yet. Absolutely. Look, my love this week, uh, it's got to be Robbie Gray, the big Roberto. Um, I'm just going to list some some other names here. You know, Nick Stevens, 2001. Josh Franco, Roger James, 2002. Sean Burgoyne, 2006. Chad Corns, 2007. Travis Boak, 2013. You know, for me, Robbie Gray's year this year has beaten all of them in terms wow. of best individual season by a midfielder for Port Adelaide um, at Adelaide, at uh, AFL level. You know, he's just at the absolute top of his game. And you just feel the aura around him when he gets the ball. You know, the crowd gets excited. Um, you almost sense that his teammates get excited as well. The oppos- opposition know that they can't get him and they can't really tackle him. Um, and you just feel that uh, he and his teammates know that he's going to run away with the ball. He's just a stunning footballer in stunning form at the moment. And I don't think there's much better than seeing um, a midfielder of his sort. You know, Scott Pendlebury's kind of the same as well in that, you know, they make time stand still around them and they just find the gaps, you know, every single time they get the ball. It's just, it's fantastic to watch. Can I just say, about four or five years ago, it was 2008... I made a call that Robbie Gray remi- Robbie Gray was essentially the second coming of Gary Ablett Jr. Just in terms of the way he moved, his size, his skills, his ability to see things around him. And I got mocked pretty mercilessly by people from a certain bay on the Bigfooty uh, <laughs> board who went and used that quote and they called Robbie Wobby, W-O-B-B-I-E. <laughs> How funny. Um but they, they, oh, brilliant. But they absolutely mocked that call and would bring it up repeatedly when Robbie was usually down with injury or coming back from injury, so he really couldn't show what he was truly capable of. But yeah. to see this year, for him to, and even to come back off that knee injury where his knee it was one of the horror knee injuries, if you can have an ACL, that was probably on the worst scale possible. For him, oh, to, for him to come back and absolutely show the country, what he is absolutely capable of. And what we've all deep down known, we knew he was super talented. We knew if he could get there and get a fitness base under him, the world was his oyster. And 2014, it's been a good seven years since he made his bow, but here he is, he's 25, 26. He's in the prime of his life. And isn't it just a joy to watch? It is. It's brilliant. It's absolutely outstanding. We knew from the start that he was super talented. You could tell from his first trial games, with Port Adelaide, that he, he just had something special about him. Um, but, yeah, it's just been his body that's really let him down. You know, he had such a super year in 2009. Arguably could have won our best and fairest that year. You know, he was injury-riddled the next year. Came out in 2011 in, you know, our worst season at AFL level and had another super season. Then did his knee in 2012. He came back last year, had a pretty good season considering, and you could just sense that he wasn't far off. You know, we... I remember saying it on the podcast a few times, like he's getting the his hands on the ball, he's doing everything right. It's just his skill execution that was letting him down. This year he's got his skills right and he's just improved through the roof again and is just having an absolute career year. And my hate this week, it's got to be the SMA uh, making the decision that only 35% of the SMA tickets will actually count towards Port's membership total. Um, just what a Why's spiteful that? bullshit decision Why made up that? of... Why is that? Because uh, the fantastic, upstanding, honourable John Olsen, who's uh, never been caught out doing anything dodgy or fraudulent <laughs> before, came up uh, with a decision um, on his own sort of personal audit uh, that um, 
Port only made up 35% of the ticket numbers. Right. So therefore, they only deserve 35% of the uh, the ticket sales. So therefore, the Crows are actually receiving money for people turning up to Port games, which is pathetic. Mm. Right. Not good enough. When did but this was that, was that an AFL order, though? Was he told by... Anybody at AFL House that they want to count the members a specific way? Or was this purely John Olsen being John Olsen? I think this is purely John Olsen being John Olsen, who's uh, right up the arse of Lee Wicker. <laughs> yeah, he sure is. Couldn't they um, have just logged how many SMA members attended Crows games and Port games and then create a percentage that way? This is what I don't understand, though, because that, that particular... Uh, ticketing system they've got access to all 20 all 22 games for the year so they get to go to all crows games they get to go to all port games it's not like an mcg membership where you could potentially have three to four afl games in a given week which is almost unless you're an absolute football diehard that's impossible to go to you go you get one game a week every week so foreseeably there are people on these memberships who've gone between 14 and 22 games a year to the football or giving their tickets to someone else who can go and there's just an arbitrary figure that says the crows have got 65 percent of that share and we get 35 percent what yep. what's going on there And the game we're talking about um, was round 22. Uh, Friday night, it was a record crowd of 52,505 people that saw Port Adelaide thrash a, a pretty insipid Carlton outfit by 103 points. We won 20 goals 20 to 5 goals 7. It could have been a lot worse for Carlton there. Uh, Robbie Gray kicked four in a best-on-ground effort. Uh, Jakey Knee, Justin Westhoff, Chad Wingard kicked three goals each. Um, and Jay Schultz kicked two. What an evening of football that was. I'm sure you guys had a ball. It was amazing. It was great. Amazing. It was sublime. Absolutely the first, sublime. The first five minutes appeared to be a bit of an arm wrestle, and then after that it was, uh, you know, nothing really, wasn't it? Too easy. Pretty much spot on. Carlton came to play for about 10 minutes, um, and once we kicked a goal, the floodgate started to open a little bit. We, we ended the first quarter on fire with a number of quick goals uh, to finish that quarter. And we didn't really look back from that moment on. Would you, uh, would you argue you did, you disagreed with me in the preview Macca, which is uh, just crazy in itself. Really? How can anyone disagree with me? But I thought Carlton might play a, a bit of an open game and that seems to be what they did. And that was to their detriment. Really? If by open you mean shit, then you're absolutely <laughs> spot on. <laughs> they were. They were awful. They were horrible. Yeah. They were absolutely horrible. Um, and not just in the sense that they couldn't get the ball, but they had a number of key players that just didn't look like they were trying at all, mm. to be honest. They were already on their Mad Monday, weren't they? They were already on the beach in Bali having their end-of-year holiday. Which is surprising just... because they were so competitive in the weeks leading up to this game. Well, it's almost like they thought, well, you know, we, we've tried so hard, we've still fallen short against Frio and, and Geelong and, you know, season's over, two games left, let's just shut up shop. So, did you guys, I mean, it's hard on TV, so at the game, anything noticeable? I mean, we've been commenting the last couple of weeks that the key stats are starting to show that Port Adelaide's starting to roll back into the previous form they had earlier in the season. Um, was there any anything noticeable at the game that you guys could identify to see that that was coming back? Taking well, aside that Carlton were so shit. Well, well, that's true. But for me, it just looked like we'd transplanted the way we were playing in every way, shape and form in the first half of the season to this game. Um, everybody looked fit. Everybody looked hungry. Everybody And the intelligence of our players increased. Like I've got here on my little note sheet that uh, remember when on the Essendon, the post-game Essendon podcast, I said our spacing in the midfield stoppages was awful. Like we tended to be sucked to the contest and we were very reactionary to what Essendon did. In this game, on more than one occasion, in midfield stoppages, no matter where they were, whether they were on the midfield or in a dangerous area, both back and forward, we seem to absolutely back the guy who took first possession. So instead of 
when the ball dropped from either Lobie or Wood's hand, instead of having three guys kind of piling on or grabbing onto a Carlton guy or just trying to bottle it back up again, if we had one guy there, on more than one occasion, if it was Gray or if it was Boak or if it was Moore or Hartlett, he would take possession, and then the other three guys would either stop to wait to see if he got clean possession, or they'd just be on their bike up the field. We didn't fall into the old trap of getting stagnant and just re, you know, just creating more and more stoppages. We tended to go right. He's going to get his hand on the ball, and we're on our bike, or we're calling for a possession, even with our opponent on us. So we just look so clean. It, it, it looked like we were playing Brisbane back in week three or week four or whatever it yep. was. We just seemed to be back and we used the ball well. We didn't do that stodgy handball, panic handball, panic kick. Like it was really decisive and clean, which was just brilliant to watch. We saw the results. Yeah, it was a clinical performance. And I think the, the main part for me was that um, a few weeks ago against Collingwood, we commented that you know we're just handballing too much and we're handballing back into traffic, um, almost like we're stuck in a, a constant training drill sort of thing. But here it was you know one or two handballs bang on the outside and just burst up the field, um, and that's the that's the part for me which uh, which was fantastic. We just looked like we knew exactly what we were doing. The players ran for each other. There were so many options um, all over the field constantly. You know, we spread really hard. We were trying to play down the corridor, which was fantastic. Um, and we had so many options inside the forward 50 um, almost on a constant basis, which is what we've been asking for. I think the epitome for me was um, second quarter we were kicking to the southern end, weren't we? Was it, yes. Yeah. Yep. Travis Spokes pass from the, the right-hand side wing where he just cut it low, flat, dead centre to 45 metres out. To me, that was the passage of or disposal of the game. It was just a beautiful low kicking um, trajectory kick straight to the player. And I think that was a noticeable difference on TV anyway, watching it for me was the previous games, you know, we were kicking so many high up and under balls into the uh, inside 50. And this week, everything was just precise, low precision kicking, um, and no coincidence, our uh, marks inside 50s just went through the roof. Yep, absolutely. And this is what's so important about having a midfield that can dominate is, um, you know, we've been screaming out for forwards to, to actually stay in the forward line for so long. You know, we've, we've been screaming out for our flankers to, to stop getting sucked up the field. And, you know, we, we absolutely killed Carlton in the midfield battle. You know, we just won clearance after clearance and it forced our flankers, you know, our key forwards to actually stay in the forward 50. And it, we just looked so much better, so much more clinical because of that. It was great. Yeah. Um, forward 50, um, as a proponent of the third toll, we essentially didn't need one because Westhoff was on such, it was in such a role that, yes, we were dominating, so we didn't have to spend too much time sucked up the ground or in defense. But there was, on more than one occasion, we kicked long and decisively and quickly to probably f between 5 and 15 metres out from the uh, front of the goal mouth. And Schultz, as he always is, was held, scragged, had an arm pulled, whatever. But the beauty of that was, was that in previous weeks where the only uh, that meant our second option was Chad Wingard, either going for a screamer unrealistically or kind of just being there in the vicinity, we had Justin Westhoff down there to either float across the front or take the other man away. And if Schultz didn't get you, it'd be Westhoff. And that's yeah. all you can ask for. Now, yes, we were dominant and we had plenty of forward 50 entries, but to see Schultz, Westhoff, Wingard, Monfries, need running hard, spacing beautifully... Um, the likes of Need, who would also run up the ground to be an extra midfielder, he'd double back, Wingard the same. We just had so many options that you almost felt sorry for the likes of Jamison, who did an otherwise okay job. But just as we used to say back in the old days, when Carlisle would be the poor guy who'd just be under the bomb, you know, the bombing run by opposition midfields. Now it's us doing it. We've got that back, and it was just brilliant. We had so many scoring options, and, you know, long may it continue. Yep. Don't How good does Jakey need? 
Yeah, oh, fantastic. Brilliant. What a little he, gun. I mean, he's cemented his spot in the final side almost now, I'd imagine. You would think so, yeah. He's just added so much to our team over the last few weeks, which uh, Sammy Gray and Kane Mitchell couldn't, well, which is clean bowl use. He's just as hard a runner as they are, and and he's kicking goals. There's, there's no coincidence that really our turnaround in form has, has almost been based in, on two players coming back into the side, um, with Trangove coming back in and, and Jakey Need coming in, and he's provided fantastic forward pressure for us. But uh, I think going back to Westoff, I wouldn't underestimate the influence of Jackson coming back into our our team as well, because I think that allows Westy to, to stay a little bit more forward and not have to push as far up the ground because we've got... Jackson there and also relieving that those ruck duties and I thought Jackson's aggression at the player uh, fair aggression at the player on Friday was fantastic yep. his positioning, Trangobe's positioning, his football brain is brilliant like in terms of football IQ, Trangove would be arguably our smartest player, he's not the quickest guy, he's not the tallest guy but his ability to just back players up to get into dangerous positions and to provide that spoil. And there was a couple of times when he ran back, he got to a contest late, but Carlisle had brought it down the ground. Trangove's ability to pick up and sidestep and move forward and find an option up the field. God, you know, in the first year he was here or the second year he was here, he looked like a baby giraffe, but I don't know what it is. He's just absolutely, it could be the Burgess effect. It could just be the fact that he's got confidence in his hamstrings. His ability to pick up, turn on a dime and get the ball away is just fabulous. So just how much can we actually take out of this game, do you think? I think we can take a fair bit. I think that's going to give the boys the confidence they need um, coming into the Frio game about being able to run and carry with the ball and that they still can do that. Um, obviously, that was the question marks. Can they still do it? Um, and yes, they can. I mean, the only the only things that I think that we need to probably look at is Brad Ebert's output. I don't know was he tagging at the? Could you notice at the game because he seemed to be down again against I guess with his influence in the game, um, and probably Tommy Jonas's disposal was a little bit shaky with with accuracy of uh, delivery. But other than that, um, you know, they would probably be the only two things we we probably looked a little bit of out of place with it for the whole game. Both good points on Jonas and Ebert. I just think Ebert, while not prolific, he didn't have his 25-30, 35-40 game that he was having earlier in the year. He was extremely effective. He ran to dangerous spaces. He snuck forward for a goal. And I think maybe this is just the natural progression of now it's not like last year, what was it? The midfield was primarily Boke and Ebert. Um this year with Gray going in there, I think Ebert is now uh, deferring to Gray, Boak, uh, Hartlett as well. Hartlett's increased yep. his midfield minutes. And I think it was just a case of Ebert just didn't wasn't targeted as much or he didn't have as much midfield minutes. Um, Jonas's disposal, absolutely agree. There was one moment, was it the fourth quarter, when he we got an intercept mark on the left pocket and he went to go inboard and it almost cost us a goal, but Carlisle was able to break it up. Um, but Jonas is back to his defensive best. But again, as you said before, Rick, uh, that's more to do with Trangove just shuffling him back down the order. So Jonas is now third or fourth banana who can absolutely just lock down now. But ideally, we would like his disposal going forward to be a little bit better, especially with the game plan we're trying to play. I could be wrong. I thought Jonas was fantastic and just about best on ground, but I do agree that his disposal let him down a couple of times. But, I mean, he was just unpassable. I mean, he was just in the right spot at the right time about 15 times on Friday night. He took some ripper marks. Oh, he did. Whether he was marking opposition kicks or just creating the perfect spoil, he was just in the right spot at the right time every time. It was fantastic. That's probably, I'd go as far as saying that was the best game I've seen him play at AFL level. He's got a great physical size now for AFL football. He does. And he likes throwing it around as well, which is great. <laughs> yes, he does. Almost to his detriment in that last quarter. Almost, yeah. She well, Praise the Lord he didn't get sighted. I'm amazed. So what do you think, Macker, about Brad Ebert? Do you agree he's just not needed as much in the rotations or and he's not being used? Or do you think there's a bit more sinister in it? Well, I think it's clear that he's not in fantastic form 
and he's been struggling over the last two months. But um, I do also agree that, you know, he's not really needed. I think Hartlett's almost taken over his role in the team um, at stoppages, um, sort of as that sort of clearance winning midfielder that Ebert was doing. Um, I think he's still running hard. He's still presenting himself, Ebert. Um, it's just not coming off for him at the moment, but no doubt it will soon, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess, I mean, when we say he's not needed, it's not like we're saying he's not needed in the team. I guess it's just in more passages of play, he's not being the go-to player. Yeah, and it's just, uh, plus, he's batting down. I mean, ball. there's only so much of the ball that can go around in any yeah. one particular game as well. I mean, Robbie had 31, Boak had 27, Corns had 27, Hartlett had 27, Pollock was right up there with 24. I mean, there's only so much ball that you can get. Can we swap the possession count of uh, Kane Corns and Brad Eben around more often? <laughs> that would be ideal. I know. I knew that would make you happy, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to start my own uh, start my own MySpace group to promote that. <laughs> Hopefully. What's my What's MySpace? What are you talking about? I don't know. Back in the day, it was popular. I don't know. Back in the day. It, was it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. So. <laughs> so How good was it to see uh, Chatty Wingard back in form? Brilliant. Absolutely. I was so happy for the kid because, you know, we, uh, the moderators, uh, two of them being yourselves have been obviously promoting the fact that the board can be a little bit bipolar while we were playing poorly. But some of the stuff that was said about Chad Wingard, not just, not just in house in terms of our board, but uh, by opposition supporters has just been ridiculous. We're talking about a 20 year old kid who's in his third season of AFL football and he hit a bit of a slump, which reflected the team slump. And surprise, surprise, be it structures, be it the results, be it the way we're playing, he wasn't getting as much of the ball. He wasn't having as much of an impact. And to be honest, he was looking a little bit down in the mouth and not really happy with the way things are going, which can happen. He's clearly an alpha male with the way he approaches things. And to see the team get back up, surprise, surprise, Chad Wingard responded. And didn't he respond? He did, absolutely. I mean, there I was some... going to walk away from the game. Well, that's the thing. I mean, there was some criticism about, was it, who was it running into an open? Was it Robbie Gray and Chad Wingard wanted the ball and got really like, almost richo huffy about not receiving the handball to run into an open goal? But I actually mm. saw that as a positive thing. As I said on the board, you know, there have been people questioning, like Carolyn Wilson wrote an article where he might give footy away in the next couple of years and go try and have an NBL career or an American college basketball career. To see him absolutely cracking the sads that he wasn't getting some easy ball, I think that's a great thing. You know, it means that he's hungry. He wants the ball in his hands. He wants to have an impact. And you know what? If he comes good, all he has to do is play to Chad Wingard's ability in the next four or five weeks, and who knows what could happen. Yeah. I think it's good that um, all the players that really needed a lift and that we were hoping would come to play really did actually have some fantastic games. I mean, Chaddy Wingard was great. Pollock had his best game in a couple of months. Uh, Pittard was absolutely fantastic as well. Needy has uh, locked himself into the into the team, as you've said. And I thought Gus Monfrey's played a very good game as well. Who's Pittard? Don't you mean who's Pittard? Pittard. Pittard. And Pittard. who's Pollock? Isn't it Pollock? Pollock. 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 Gra- Jackson. Graham Pollock. Jackson Pollock. There was a few. Sorry, I, I had to derail what you're saying for those ridiculous uh, names that some commentators are calling them as I can't believe they're prepared to bloody commentate on football when they can't even say a person's name correctly. It's almost as bad as Ebert. <laughs> oh, yes. From uh, Robert Wall's era. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but I'm with you, Macker. I thought Monfries came back with a bit more form. I think he could still do more, but he was looking like he was running around a lot more freely and, uh, and he was starting to influence the game again. All right, Rick, who were your best players? Oh, I did have them mapped out earlier. So let's see if I can remember. Well, I thought Robbie Gray was a no-brainer. So I had him uh, best on ground. And what a magnificent effort winning the uh, Players Association Award. Did did you actually mention that at the beginning, Macca? No, we didn't mention that. What a fantastic achievement. It hasn't happened since Treadray in 2004. 
No, not for us. Um, and it's just great that someone that wasn't uh, one of the big names of the AFL has, has won an award like that. It rarely happens. How can people still not know who Robbie Gray is, though? Like, I try to get a feel for how Port Adelaide are viewed around the traps. And obviously, the most easiest way to do that, rather than stay on Rundle Mall with a clipboard, is to look at Twitter and Facebook groups and all the rest of it. Fox Footy put up a uh, put up a picture of Robbie on their Facebook page and said something like, you know, Robbie Gray, Brownlow Smokey, and you've got to wade through probably 20 morons who say no chance, no chance, my man Matt Prittis or my man Dyson Heppel. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? You know, Robbie, yeah. Robbie Gray this year has averaged something like 25 disposals. He's kicked 33 goals and he's got 30 goal assists in a team that up until very recently, was considered to be, you know, a flag favourite and still is. I mean, in what universe does that not then translate into being a Brownlow Smokey or winning the AFL Coaches Association MVP, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? I think it says it all, though. When you've got a a commentator on the Friday night game, Dennis Cometti, who commentates three games of football every week, and they're making reference to the fact that this is the first time they've watched Port LA play for the whole season live. Right? That says it all in relation to the mm. exposure that we get with the time slots and the games that we're given. Um, that, you know, there's a lot of ignorant opinions out there when even experts aren't even getting to see the team play, and they're probably not making an effort yeah. to watch the replays because they don't have to. So, Well, we've this... only had, what, four or five free-to-air games this season, haven't since, we? No, since 2009. Like, mm. like, I'm being facetious, but we've had on average about two free-to-air games since a, a year since 2009. Yeah. And all it's we exact. hear about when, when Collingwood's crowds drop a little bit because they've been given the odd poor time slot for the first time in history... They can only get 25000 to a Sunday afternoon game and Eddie Maguire wants monetary compensation and Gillan McLaughlin comes out and says, sorry, Ed, we'll give you a lot more Friday and Saturday night games. It's like, hang on a minute. You know, Port Adelaide, like, I, I bang on about this everywhere I can. In our, in our premiership year in 2004, so we'd been up for three years. We'd been a great team or a very, very good team since 2001, 2002, 2003. In 2004, 10 of our, 10, nine or 10 of our home games were on a Sunday, either the noon time slot or the twilight time slot. This is a team that's regularly contesting for the flag and we've been continually given the worst time slots. But in our case, it isn't, we'll give you better time slots or we'll give you some monetary compensation. It's, we'll grow the pie. Grow port, the pie. Get some tarps, port. And then when we get mm. tarps, it's, we'll get rid of the tarps, port. I mean, honestly, what? When well, is there just... going to be some sort of, I mean, I'm, I'm not being naive. I know how the world works and Collingwood is the big money spinner, so to speak. But when, when are the smaller clubs, Port Adelaide is on deck as one of the big clubs, given our numbers, when are we going to get a fair shake with this kind of thing? Well, we need consistency in the numbers, Triby. We need to we need to stack up this year with next year and be even better and put ourselves in such a power, powerful position where we give the AFL no choice and go, well, these guys have got their shit together and we right. have to give them this because... They've got the supporter base now to command it. And that's where I believe the power brokers are trying to go. And they're working well uh, to achieve that goal. And so we just need to give it another season or another two seasons. But we keep getting stats sort of like what was in the paper a couple of months ago. We're the most watchable side. You know, Chad Wingard's the, the most watchable player outside of Gary Ablett. More of those sort of things start getting written about and promoted that's going to attract more attention and give us more free-to-air exposure because that's going to create positive momentum. We had too much negative momentum between 05 and 2012, which really brought our brand down and the club's really working on rebranding and they're playing it very, very smart and that's going to work to our favour in another year or two. I would expect hopefully four or five free-to-air primetime games next year, home or away. Fingers crossed. It will happen. Hope so. so anyway, that was the longest uh, five points to ever, <laughs> Robbie Gray. Sorry for destroying uh, running sheet. Uh, that's all right. 
I can't remember who I had second best on ground. I'm pretty sure I had Travis <laughs> Brogue as third best on ground, but I had someone in between him. But who was better than those two? Help. Help jog oh, my memory. I think I know what the answer is. Tell me. Oh, it's not your mate Jasper, is it? The oh. shirtless one. Uh, he was bloody good, wasn't he? How good was he? I mean, that run, his delivery, some of his long kicks. I mean, the most bounces in the AFL says it all of what his job in our side is, is to run and carry with the ball. And he seems to be getting on his left a little bit quicker now when he does take his runs to give him a better opportunity to dispose of the ball. But I thought he was uh, he was uh, Bob Murphy's rascal of the week, getting in there, getting in the players' faces. I thought he was fantastic. Um, Travis Boak, fantastic crack captain's game again. Uh, Jakey Need, I had him as fourth best. I thought he had a, a stellar game. And I'm just so proud of watching uh, Jake play football. I just... I just love the underdogs in footy, and uh, to me, he's an underdog just with his stature. But you know, he he's a small man, but he plays with a big heart, and you know, it's just incredible to watch players like that. And hopefully, he has a long career for Port Adelaide. And I thought Homsch, uh was—I uh, gave him one point for fifth best. I thought he was fantastic in defence, and what a solid player. And thank you, GWS, for both of those boys, plus letting mm. Chad come through to us as well. Absolutely, Triby. Maca. Your 10 best players? My 22 best players. Um, look, one vote, Hamish Hartlett. I thought he was everywhere, but, you know, amongst all the positivity, it's games like this where Hartlett just not only plays exceptionally well, but he makes it look ludicrously easy. Like, I just... He only gets one vote. His talent, I want more out of this guy and that's why he only gets one vote the sort of and we say this every year Hamish Hartlett so much talent so much ability could win a Norm Smith can't like you know what it's up to him now time to deliver I want more yeah, I love him. his chipper he loves mouthing off to the opposition yeah absolutely. and that's part of it too you know I don't I don't mind it it shows he's got his confidence he's got a bit of arrogance he knows that he belongs he knows he's got ability well you know what Hamish keep going mate show us I think um, he is. His last six or seven weeks have been massive. Yeah, well, let's definite do it, career best form. Let's do it for a whole year, Mac. That's all I'm saying. Absolutely. I want, I want to see him in the All Australian team. I want to see him like Robbie Gray has to absolutely give what we know that he's got, and let's have him in the calculations for one of the best players. Because I'm sick of hearing he who will remain nameless having a plodding twenty touches, none of which hit the target, and he's held up as the greatest thing since sliced bread. I think Hammer we'll is do it better. Next year, mate, is his year. Absolutely. I think Hammer's better and he'll show us. Yep. Um, I'll, bet you, I'll bet you unlimited beers in the might, our last game next year that he's in the All-Australian all squad. Done. Let's do it. That means um, you have to uh, put up with me for a whole game, though. Oh, look, I can probably cope with that. <clears throat> um, next best, I had Jared Polick. I thought he'd been so down and... You know, I'd made mention of the off-field stuff that might have been holding him back mentally over the past few weeks. That's all done and dusted now. That's out of the way. What did he do? He absolutely returned with just a brilliant game. And it wasn't just the usual stuff where he kind of gets a bit of outside ball, goes for a bounce and hits a target. Some of the inside stuff he was doing was fabulous. And if it was anyone else, you know, your Trent Cotchins, your Dustin Martins, people would be agog at what he was doing. Well, Jared Polek was doing this, and we've had Brisbane people telling him, telling us he's soft. And mm. he was as hard as a coffin nail uh, against Carlton, so absolutely loved his game. Two votes. Three votes. The whole defence, a.k.a. the Teal Curtain. Thank you to El Scorcho. <laughs> I, I can't separate any of these guys. I think Pittard was absolutely excellent, made Fabulous decisions. That ankle breaker where he went onto his left and the Carlton player rightly assumed that he'd stay on his left, but then Jasper went right and left again and absolutely made the guy fall down like a classic NBA highlight. It was brilliant. Homsch, Trengove, Carlisle. Uh, what more can you say about this back six? Even when we were playing poorly, they held up their end of the bargain. Yeah. Um, second best on ground, I had Justin Westhoff. I thought it was arguably his best game of the year. I thought forward he was dangerous and he was decisive. He went back effortlessly and then ploughed back through the midfield and added an extra man there. I thought he was brilliant and he took heat off Schultz and although Schultz wasn't at his best, he still kicked two. 
more of the same. And of course, best on ground, we've already mentioned just how great this guy is and how brilliant it is to see him get reward for all his hard work and come through all the adversity he has. So five votes for the Tribe quarter chicken at Woolworths player of the year, Robbie Gray, just sublime. Good work. Well, look, my best players, obviously best on ground was Robbie Gray. Four goals, 31 touches, three uh, goal assists, just did everything. And not just that, but every time he wins a clearance, it is just breathtaking. You know, he'll evade three or four tackles and just deliver a pinpoint pass forward. It's just, it's stunning to watch at the moment. Um, Tommy Jonas, I had second best on ground. He was just an absolute rocket halfback. Um, they couldn't get past him. He, he took so many marks and, and did so many good things. Um, his best game for the season, if not his career. Hammer, third best on ground. 27 touches, a goal, a couple of goal assists. The thing I really liked about his game was there was a number of times he could have gone bang at the goals. You know, no one probably would have um, minded if he was a bit selfish and, and had a few shots from 60. But, you know, he, he hit up some targets inside 50. And I thought that showed great restraint and, and some great team play there. Uh, Travis Boak, fourth best on ground. Um, and Jakey Need, fifth best for his uh, fantastic effort, kicking three goals, a couple of goal assists as well. And, you know, he's just revitalised our forward line, I think. It, it shows what a uh, all-round game the whole team had with so many uh, different players in different uh, selections for our top five. So well, that's it. I mean, we haven't even players. mentioned Kane Corn who... You know, he did a fantastic job on Murphy to begin with and shut Judd out of the yeah. game. And uh, Matty Loby in the ruck, who just killed Cameron Wood. And Matty White with his attempt of goal of the year. Mm. From, From the, the Matty White pocket. From the Matty White pocket, absolutely. Look, let's uh, have a quick chat about the SANFL. Uh, from the sublime to the ridiculous, we somehow found a way to lose to Glenelg, who were the wooden spooners this year. It was a shock, 32-point loss. Eight goals, 12 to 13 goals, 14. Uh, Johnny Butcher and Mason Shaw kicked two goals each. Um, what happened there? I have a theory on this. Mm. The players were all deflated because it's all about the AFL, Macca. You know, put a hook, hocking came out and said it doesn't matter about the SANFL and the, all that matters is the uh, developing the AFL players and the boys were a bit deflated and said, oh, well, what's the point then? Did no, he say seriously, that? I don't know. Yeah, he did actually. Oh, and really? Then, yeah, because then KT came out with his CEO update the day after. Oh, so no. That Buddha was a bit confused and... Yeah, that was a bit of a boy. PR snafu. Yes. Yeah, it was. It Even was. the nature of our club. It gave great, uh, great voice to the anti-AFL in the SANFL. Mm. He said, Obviously, "Yes, finally, they're admitting it." Yeah. Obviously, Tribe, you don't read my uh, my reading material on Facebook, do you? Sorry, no, I didn't see that. Oh, I read, I read plenty of other things on Facebook, but I must have missed that. Mm. I'll have to tag you in it then. Let's do it. Uh, yeah. But no, he um, so KT obviously must have been a little bit embarrassed, and uh, his CEO update he came out and uh, said, "No, no, Buddha's a bit confused. Uh, the boys can be unleashed for the finals, and uh, and off they go." So yeah, a bit of a PR uh, nightmare. Yep, wasn't good. Um, I just think they were a little bit sluggish. Maybe they thought, "Well, we've got top spot wrapped up. Um, let's have a bit of an easy week this week." Um, you know, we've got the uh, the week off next week as well, and we'll go bang in the second semi-final. But, you know, it was a pretty close game up until half-time, and then uh, Glenelg kicked away after half-time, and, you know, Clint Alloway had a fantastic game for the Bays. He kicked five goals and, um, you know, dominated against us, as he has done, you know, three or four times in the past. Um, but, yeah, we just didn't look uh, switched on at any stage during the game, to be honest. And let's, and let's face it, if there was any game that a club like Glenelg was going to get up for, it was going to be that one. Yeah, absolutely. Last I mean, they've got nothing to play for, so... But just as a side note, Glenelg, they've been in the league since, what, 1925 or 1923 or 1921, is it? Nobody yeah, about cares. That. Nobody cares. Who cares? Um, 
They've they've won four premierships in that entire span, and their best 18, so their Glenelg team of the century, however they want to pick it, would rival just about any other club in Australia. And all they've ever been able to achieve is four flags. So congratulations, you've beaten Port Adelaide at the Bay in the last game of the season. Uh, Add the wooden spoon to the cabinet. Round of applause for Glenelg, everyone. We need a season. tango moment for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Tango's downstairs. I, know I, just, I just don't just like losing there. to the base. I hate it. But uh, I just hate losing in general. Mm. How did Butcher go? Did he? Did anyone know? Did he play in defence first and went no, forward? No, he, he played forward and, and had a ripper game. He took eleven marks and kicked a couple of goals, and you know was was or was pretty close to it. Who were the uh, who were the major ball winners then for Port? Oh look, I thought Mitch Harvey was uh, was right up there. He had a fantastic game in the ruck um, and is proving to have a couple of different strings to his bow. Uh, the old Mitch, he had 22 hitouts and 23 touches playing in the ruck. Uh, Samo had a very good game. Uh, Benny Newton keeps uh, presenting himself uh, for higher for the higher level. Um, and then it was really Butch, um, and that was about it really. Brendan Archie had a pretty good game. Um, and then you're struggling after that, to be honest. So has the Arch uh, secured his spot on the list for next year? I would think so, yeah. I think he's done enough yeah. to, to stay on the list and get another one-year contract, yep. I think so. I could actually maybe see him uh, getting a couple of AFL opportunities next year if he keeps with this sort of progression uh, in the side. Well, it'd be interesting to see how he goes as a tagger, to see if he could replace Kane yeah. Corns in that sort of role. Kane Corns ain't going to retire ever. He's going to be playing for another 30 years just to spin Tribe's head. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, be, he'll be our boomer. He'll just be 46 years old. He'll, they'll wheel him out for some sort of media appearances. He'll clock his 700 games and then go off into the sunset and, you know, hopefully add to the father-son uh, pool. Yep. All right, boys, we might leave it there for now. Tribe, always a pleasure, buddy. Thanks, mate. It was excellent. Fantastic. And Rick, as always. Yibbity yibbity. When's the next game? Saturday afternoon? Saturday afternoon. Basically a final. I'm a, the final before I'm a looking final. forward. Our first final. I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm very, very confident, but I won't spoil all the talk now. And uh, see you Thursday night, mate. Too easy. Go Port Adelaide. Canerdabendee. Epic. <laughs> what the hell was that? Franco, the running Francis, it's deafening at Footy Park. It's like finals footy oh. on Tretray Marks at half board. He's lifted as well, Tretray. Five marks for him this afternoon to the goal square. Chad Corns is the man of the moment. Can't do it this time. Stewie Jew, right.